0: Guys, welcome back to our teaching in the book of Genesis. Now, the last time we were here in chapter 31, we saw Jacob fleeing from the presence of Laban. The relationship had degraded so bad that Jacob figured it was time for him to leave after being there for 20 years, serving seven years for his wife, Rachel, an additional seven years for his second wife, Leah, as well as six years of the employment service that he had contracted with Laban. But nevertheless, Laban had basically lost all, or should I even say the wealth of Laban was therefore transferred to Jacob because of Laban's deceitful dealing with Jacob. And also, basically we see this because God himself was blessing Jacob to fulfill the promise that he had made with Jacob. We remember in the dream in chapter 28, But nevertheless, Jacob fled from the presence. He called his wives to him in a wise way, explained the situation of how their father had dealt deceitfully with him. And the wives came on board with Jacob. They agreed with him and they fled from the presence of Jacob. And Jacob went as far a three days journey into the land of Gilead. We know that later on, Laban discovered that Jacob had ran away. He fled from his presence and Laban pursued Jacob for about seven days and catching Jacob up in that land of Gilead. But before Laban encountered Jacob, God met Laban in a dream and told him, do not say anything to Jacob, neither good nor bad. In other words, don't do anything to Jacob. So Laban finally met Jacob and he encountered Jacob and he came to Jacob again in a deceitful manner, pretending that he he wanted to send his daughters and his grandchildren off in a merry celebration. But Jacob denied him that uh, particular enjoyment by slipping away in the night like a thief in the night because he understood that Jacob wanted to go back home to the land of his fathers. But nevertheless, Jacob should not have done so. So the two men, uh-huh interchange with one another and Laban finally got to the root of the matter. And and it was that Rachel, Laban did not know this, but someone from Jacob's household, Laban thinking it probably was Jacob has stole his household idols to which we know it was actually his younger daughter, Rachel, who had stole the household idols. So Jacob permitted him to search all of his belongings, including that means everything that he had, including the, the things of his wives and Laban could find nothing. And once Laban, Laban found nothing, Jacob then upbraided Laban, accusing him of being deceitful and that he would have surely sent him away. If Jacob had let him know that he wanted to go back home and he was going home, he would have surely sent him away with nothing. So the two men finally came to an agreement at a place that was called Mizpah. Jacob named it that place. And basically in this covenant, this covenant agreement was that neither one should cross over that particular boundary to do harm to one another, okay? And so finally, Lebon got up early the next morning. He kissed his daughters and his grandchildren and he departed back. But what remained in the mind of Jacob was the fact that the very reason why he came to the household of Laban, the very reason why he came into Haran in the first place was to get a wife, and that's from the position, the position of Isaac, to get a wife from his father's peoples, but also in the mind of his mother, Rebekah, to escape the wrath of Esau, and that's predominant. To escape the wrath of Esau because Esau had sworn because Esau accused Jacob of stealing his blessing. Uh, Esau had said that he would kill Jacob when his father had died. So the fear of Esau. And that's where we're moving in chapter 30, 32. Now that we have we have done uh, with Laban in the land of Haran, a place where the Jewish people would never go back again to to. Get a wife. Jacob would never go back to send for a wife for his sons. Now that we've this we've, we, we're disposed of that event, we move on to what is important in the mind of Jacob. And that is the fear of meeting Esau again. And that's where we take up with this in chapter 32. Now, as Jacob went on his way, the angels of God met him. Jacob said when he saw them, this is God's camp. So he named the place Mahanaim. Then Jacob sent messengers before him to his brother Esau in the land of Seir, the country of Edom. He also commanded them saying, thus you shall say to my Lord Esau, thus says your servant Jacob. I have sojourned with Laban and stayed until now. I have oxen And donkeys and flocks and male and female servants. And I have sent to tell my Lord that I may find favor in your sight. The messengers returned to Jacob saying, We came to your brother Esau and furthermore he is coming to meet you and 400 men are with him. Then Jacob was greatly afraid and distressed and he divided the people who were with him. And the flocks and the herds and the camels into two companies. For he said, if Esau comes to the one company and attacks it, then the company which is left will escape. Okay, so now Jacob is about to enter into the promised land. And that's the important thing to see. He has not come into the promised land quite yet but he is coming near. And that's what we're gonna see later on in this chapter, the Ford of Jabbok when he crosses over that, the idea is crossing over into the land of promise. But before that takes place, what do we see? We see Jacob moving onwards towards the promised land. And there he encounters the angels of God. Now, the first thing that catches your mind is, because the idea is, these angels of God seem to come in the, to present themselves as men in some sense of the word. But how does he recognize them as the angels of God? It takes us all the way back to the dream that he had when he was going to the land of Haran, to the house of Laban. And remember, in that dream that he had, he saw the angels of God Ascending and descending upon this staircase into heaven. So therefore, he was able to recognize these as the same beings, these same angels of God. And so when he saw that, he noticed that it was because the angels of God were present he called it the camp of god because of the presence of the angels of god okay and in naming that he called it mahanaim which literally means in hebrew double camp so the idea is you have both jacob and his people being encamped camp there and god and his people being encamped there so the meaning of this is it is the reassurance God is trying to reassure Jacob of his promise. Remember the promise of God when he told him to return back to his father's household. I will be with you. And so now we have a physical manifestation of that promise of God. God is fulfilling that promise physically. Why? Because God has sent his angels to To encamp along with Jacob. And so Jacob is now being his faith, his fear, his fear. God is trying to massage his fear, remove his fear to let him know, Jacob, I am with you. Okay, so Jacob prepares as God himself has sent his messengers to be with Jacob, the angels of God, because the word uh, for angel is Malak. It also means in Hebrew, messenger, angel and messenger are the same Hebrew word. So as God has sent his messengers to be with Jacob, Jacob is also now, as we can see, the strength of his faith is starting to increase. It is not perfect and it won't be uh, perfect here. But nevertheless, it is being increased uh, through what God is doing for him. Jacob is now sending his messengers to Esau, which is the whole Issue involved in his mind, meeting Esau. So he sends messengers to meet Esau. And notice how he says, tells him that he comes, Esau is in Mount Seir, and he sends messenger and says, refers to himself that your servant, and he refers to Esau as his Lord. Now, this is the indication in Jacob's humility. That's what we see here now. But this is the indication that Jacob is willing to give up the patriarchal blessing. Remember all the way back, I believe it's chapter 27, where uh, when Isaac blessed Jacob, he made Esau Jacob's servant and Jacob Esau's master. But notice Jacob has flipped the script, so to speak, here. And Jacob is calling himself the servant of Esau, who he is referring to as the master. So the idea is. Esau, remember the blessing that you said that I stole from you? Fine. You can have it. I am your servant and you are the master. And all throughout this chapter, we will see Jacob when he refers to himself in this manner as the servant and Esau as the master. However, even though Jacob appears here to be willing to give up the patriarchal blessing, he still cannot. Why? Because that calling and blessing is given of God. And as Paul said, it is irrevocable. It it wasn't his to give up in the first place. It was ordained by God. And so therefore it remains, even if he was willing because of fear to give it up at this time. But anyway, so he continues on to tell him about his blessings in the land of sojourning with Laban. And how that Jacob has increased in material wealth and how he desires to be welcomed by Esau in peace. And that's the idea of all of this scenario in Jacob's machinations here. The desire is to appease Esau, to assuage his anger so that when Jacob finally meets him, he'll meet Esau and Esau will receive him in peace. Okay? so. But when the servants went to meet uh, Esau, they came back with a message that Esau, they did indeed meet Esau and Esau was coming to meet Jacob, but with 400 men. Now, in the mind of Jacob, this was overkill as an escort. That is, if Esau was coming to greet him in peace and to escort him back into the land, you know, to be with him. 400 men is far too many. That's the number that you would use or take for a small army. And so therefore this caused Jacob to become exceedingly afraid because in the back of his mind he is thinking, surely the anger of my brother has not resided and he is now coming to kill me. So Jacob is greatly afraid. And so what does he do? Remember in the camp, the whole idea, don't ever turn this part of loose. In the camp is the armies of God, or should we even say it this way, the messengers of God. But later on, we're going to call it the Lord of hosts that way we refer to God, the angels of God. These are the angels of, of the Lord of hosts, the armies of God. But nevertheless, the idea is the same. But in this camp is the, are the, is the army of God, that messengers of God. But still, we can see the fear that has gripped Jacob at this moment. You see, He has to learn and don't be too critical and don't be too hard on Jacob because even we, after God has sometimes reassured us through certain experiences in our lives designed to increase our faith, still we are faithless. Still, we ourselves are fearful, so Jacob has to learn. He has to grow in grace. He has to grow in faith, okay? And so that's what we're going to see in in Jacob. His faith will not be perfect in all of this scenario, but nevertheless, God graciously is working with Jacob to increase his faith, to believe that God who promised you will keep his promise, okay? But nevertheless... So Jacob is now exceedingly afraid. He devises a plan of himself to by separating this great remember when Jacob had come out of Laban's house. He had great wealth, a number of slaves, flocks unbelievable number of flocks, wives and children. It was a great company. So Jacob began to devise a plan separate them into two companies so that If Esau would attack one, then the other would have time to escape. Okay? But what he's going to understand in the events of chapter number 32 it is not through human devisement that the plan of God is accomplished. And we see that, and I don't want to drag that out, but we see that. All throughout, we see that even with Abraham, remember when when Sarah wanted to use her maidservant Hagar to bear children, what children, or what should I say even the seed, what seed? The seed that God had promised. It is never through human machinations that the plan of God can be accomplished. God himself accomplishes his plan and not through our cunnings. And so Jacob has to learn this lesson and we're going to see this even now. For this has been Jacob's life, Jacob's life all throughout. When he stole the blessing, human machination, his own planning trying to attain that which only God can give. So he has to learn this lesson and all of this is involved in his very name. His very name speaks of this. But anyway, so I don't want to get into all of that and a whole bunch of preaching. Let's continue. Verse number nine. Jacob said, O oh God of my father Abraham, God of my father Isaac, O oh Lord, who said to me, Return to your country and to your relatives, and I will prosper you. I am unworthy of all the loving kindness and all the faithfulness which you have shown to your servant. For with my staff I crossed this Jordan, and now I have become two companies. Deliver me, I pray, from the hand of my brother, from the hand of Esau. For I fear him that he will come and attack me and the mothers with the children. For you said, I will surely prosper you and make your descendants as the sand of the sea, which is too great to be numbered. Now, so Jacob now in fear begins to pray for deliverance to God. And the first thing that he begins to, he he speaks to God. He calls him the God of his father Abraham and the God of Isaac and he tells him that he is unworthy so the first thing we see is See, see, this is the beautiful thing that what God has been doing with Jacob these 20 years of his life with Laban. And even now, as God has permitted this 400 company of men with Esau, see, we don't know what was going on in the mind of Esau. We don't know. The scriptures did not say he could have been coming. To attack or to cause hurt to Jacob. We really don't know. We don't know why he did it. But it is interesting as Jacob himself has determined. 400 men seems to be overkill to come to be simply an escort. But nevertheless, Jacob, we can see him notice later on in this chapter. He will wrestle with God. But we can see him now wrestling in prayer. He tells God. He speaks to God from a point of humility. I am unworthy of all of the blessings that you have shown to him. And then he begins to speak on how when he came into the land of Haran household of Laban, he came with nothing but a staff. But now that he is returning back into the land of his father. Here now he has two great companies, which is an evidence of God's faithfulness to him. And that's what he's trying to say. You've been faithful to me, even though I am unworthy of the blessings you've given me. And look, I have two great companies of people. And so he says, says to him now, deliver me from Esau. I'm afraid of my brother. And he reminds God's God of his promises to him. He said, because you promised that you would deliver me. You promised that you will increase my seed like the sands on the seashore. He reminds God of the, the basic principle of the Abrahamic covenant, the covenant of blessing that God had now transferred From notice from Abraham to Isaac, from Isaac, now to Jacob and God and Jacob is reminding God of his own promise. And you know what I, I, I love about that? God wants us to remind him of his word, not because God himself has forgotten his word. What does the scripture say? For God is not slack concerning his promises, as some men count slack. God is not slack. God is not forgetful. But in the reminding God of his promises, it serves to build our faith as we ourselves look to God, saying to God, remember you said unto me. So it focuses us and it puts our faith in God and in his word, that is his promises. But anyway, so in his prayer, he's moved by fear. He's moved by fear, even though those angels are still there. So God is still gonna help him even now to develop, to increase his faith. But let's continue. So verse number 13, he spent the night there. Then he selected from what he had with him a present for his brother, Esau, 200 female goats, 20 male goats, 200 ewes, 20 rams, 30 milking camels and their coats, 40 cows and 10 bulls, 20 female goats and 10 male donkeys. He delivered them into the hand of his servants. Every drove by itself and said to his servants, pass on before me and put a space between the droves. He commanded the one in the front saying, when my brother Esau meets you and asks you saying, to whom do you belong and where are you going and to whom do these animals in front of you belong? Then you shall say, these belong to your servant Jacob. It is a present sent to my Lord Esau and behold, he is also behind us. And then he commanded also the second and the third and also those who followed the drove saying, After this manner, you shall speak to Esau when you find him and you shall say, behold, your servant Jacob also is behind us. For he said, I will appease him with the present that goes before me. Then afterward, I will see his face. Perhaps he will accept me. So the present passed on before him while he himself spent that night in the camp. Now he arose that same night took his two wives and his two maids and his 11 children and crossed the ford of Jabbok. He took them and sent them across the stream and he sent across whatever he had. Okay. So now he prepares to meet Esau. So he spends the night there after his prayer and he devises a plan. And, he, and here's the idea. Again, again, human machinations. Only God can truly protect him. But nevertheless, he still, can I say it this way, guys? He's just not there yet in faith. He's not there yet in faith. So he, what, continues to devise a plan. Remember, he's very wealthy. He takes up his great wealth, approximately 580 animals. And isn't it amazing? 580 animals, donkeys, goats, sheep. Uh, camels uh, uh milking milking uh camels and thing. man Jacob is seriously wealthy and uh, but he takes them divides them up into five groups he sets a servant with each group and he se- he tells them put a space between yourselves from each of the five groups and as you are moving Towards Esau, that is into the land of promise. As you are moving onward, when Esau would meet you, you tell him that this is a present from notice once again how Jacob refers to himself from his servant, Jacob, to his Lord Esau. Again, the idea of relinquishing the patriarchal blessing that he still can't do. But nevertheless, the idea is as each group comes to Esau as he meets each group, group number one goes a little further, group number two goes a little further, all the way to group number five. If Esau is angry and if Esau is seeking revenge as he meets each group, slowly but surely it will assuage his anger. And he would appease Esau so that at the point that he finally meets Jacob with his wives, he won't be angry with Jacob anymore because of these presents that Jacob has sent him. Now, let me make this point clear in the first place I'll probably talk about it later on. But I just deal with it now. This this gift that he is sending Esau is a part of the blessings that God had given him in the land of Haran. These are God's blessings to Jacob. And the most important thing that I want to make in this point is it wasn't necessary. The, this whole scenario, these, this shenanigan that's going on here by Jacob, this machination, this is not what's going to deliver Jacob from the hand of Esau. It is God, only God can deliver. So therefore, Jacob could have kept his wealth. He could have kept his wealth and, and still God would have delivered him in the first place. But also another point that I want to show too: the gift. And notice it is a sizable gift that Jacob is sending to Esau is only part of his wealth. Now, indeed, how wealthy was Jacob? Jacob was not disenfranchised. After sending this huge present to Esau, he still had much and he's going to even tell Esau even later on, once he finally meets him in chapter 33 to take it, take it because I have much. I have. But anyway, going on. So what happened? He sends to try to assuage his brother with a great gift. And then what do we see? He takes his wives He takes his wives and his children and he passes over the Ford of Jabbok. This is a very key key point, as I was trying to make to you earlier, preparing to uh, cross over into the promised land. But the idea is here. He brings them over the Ford of Jabbok and he himself goes back. He returns back over the Ford of Jabbok to where he had once came, where Jacob himself is now back. Into the camp of God. Double camp. And now we're going to see a situation that develops what is really in the mind of Jacob. Even though he himself had made has made plans to try to ensure the survival of himself and his wife, of his things. He knows only God can do so. And that's why he returns back after sending his wife and children over the other side. He goes right back to the camp where God was. Okay, verse 24. Then Jacob was left alone and a man wrestled with him until daybreak. When he saw that he had not prevailed against him, he touched the socket of his thigh so that the socket of Jacob's thigh was dislocated while he wrestled with him. Then he said, let me go for the dawn is breaking. But he said, I will not let you go unless you bless me. So he said to him, what is your name? And he said, Jacob. He said, your name shall no longer be Jacob for, but Israel for you have striven with God and with men and have prevailed. Then Jacob asked him and said, please tell me your name. But he said, why is it that you ask my name? And he blessed him there. So Jacob named the place Peniel, for he said, I have seen God face to face. Yet my life has been preserved. So the sun rose upon him just as he crossed over Penuel and he was limping on his thigh. Therefore, to this day, the sons of Israel do not eat the sinew of the hip, which is on the socket of the thigh, because he touched the socket of Jacob's thigh in the sinew of the hip. All right. So now in ultimate act of desperation but notice it is very interesting in verse number three while Jacob is there in the night or he's there alone a man wrestles with him the very uh, 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 implication of the word of the text here is not that Jacob initiated the wrestling and that's a beautiful thing I almost want to preach the text is not implicating Jacob initiated the wrestling, but an unknown man. And remember, the man is of the group of the messengers of God, of the angels of God. So this angel of God initiated the wrestling with Jacob. Now, why am I making a big issue of that? Again, it is showing the proactiveness of God in trying to increase Jacob's faith. God is taking hold of Jacob in order that Jacob would take hold of God. What's the whole tenor? What's the whole theme of the scenario? Jacob is fearful of meeting Esau and he is seeking divine protection. And God here is taking hold of Jacob in this wrestling match that will ensue to let Jacob know I will protect you. But nevertheless, let's continue on with the commentary of the text. And so as the man is wrestling with Jacob, notice the text says to us, he saw how he could not prevail against him. Now, we know as we move through the text, we're going to talk about as we get there, that this is nothing more than the angel of the Lord, the angel of Yahweh. That is God himself, which is the reason why Jacob names the names it face of God. I've seen God face to face. Okay, And that's when we'll talk about all of that later on. But the point is, this is even if it was simply an angel. Let me just say it it this way. So you guys understand it. Even if it was simply an angel. We know angels are far superior in physical Power than men, an angel can destroy a man in an instant. It is a joke. A man cannot wrestle with an angel successfully. So this creature, and I don't, it's not good to say at this time, at this moment, because it is God, and God is not a creature. But this being that Jacob is wrestling with has limited his strength purposely. Okay, and so by self-limiting himself, he allows Jacob to struggle with him for a long time. And all of this is simply in the test of faith. In other words, will you let me go? How hard will you struggle for this blessing? Will you struggle a minute, two minutes, 10 minutes, an hour, all night long, to the breaking of the day? So Jacob struggled a long time. It was an exasperating struggle. Which was an indication of Jacob's faith as well as his desperation, as well as his desperation, but his faith in seeking God to bless him in, in Jacob's mind here. An emissary of God, because Jacob did not understand it was God at first. But let's continue on with the commentary of the text. So what does he do? He touched his thigh. He gave him a supernatural blow and knocked his thigh bone out of joint, which no doubt was extremely painful. And again, it added to the test. It added to the test. Will you still, will you now even let me go after being in such excruciating pain? And Jacob said, no, sir, I am not going to let you go. He refused another the faith. You can see the faith. You can see the faith desperation, which leads to his faith. Okay. And so he says, I'm not going to let you go until you bless me. So he was seeking some sense of blessing that would assure his safety when they met Esau. And it was at that point that this angel asked Jacob what his name was. Now, what's important? Why, why ask him what his name was? And it is so, it's such a beautiful, okay. When he Crossed over the fort of Jabbok the first time, left the promised land when he left the promised land. All the while he was in Haran with Laban, okay? That's the idea. From the first time he was in the promised land, leaving, crossing over into Haran, he went over as Jacob. He went over as a deceiver. He went over as one whom should not be trusted as a person who wants to devise things. You see it now of his own machinations who want to work things out for his own benefit by his own hands, who would not simply wait and depend on the blessings of God. He went there as one man, Jacob, But now God says, your name shall no longer be Jacob, but Israel. And here's we have the new name that is assigned to him by God himself, which simply means to contend with God. And that's why we see that commentary here, even in the explanation of the text. For you have contended with both God and man with God himself. You're struggling as the struggle is now. See, notice now here is the discovery. You are struggling. You're not just simply wrestling with a messenger of God. You are wrestling with God. And therefore, God has, in the whole sense, allowed you. You have contended with God and the idea with Laban. And even maybe a slight reflection of with your brother Esau, when the, the whole issue of the blessing stuff. But you've contended with both God and man and have prevailed. And so God gives him a new name. And in the new name, it was designed to to reflect a new nature, a new nature, no longer depend on your own machinations, no longer depend on your own devices to deliver you, to help you, to give you in it so that you can attain any kind of blessing. Do not depend on you depend on God. Now watch this because it is and it will be God ultimately who will contend for you. It is God ultimately who will fight your battles. It is God who ultimately will deliver you. And in all of this, in all of this, that is in this story, when the descendants, and notice we talked about that even earlier, when Jacob himself made God wanted God to remember his word that He would make his descendants like the sand of the seashore, when his own descendants, who will later on be coming from Egypt the household of slavery, into the land of Canaan, and they faced those seven great Canaanite nations with whom Israel cannot defeat of their own power. They should remember this event with God and Jacob that God promises to deliver them in the same way he delivered their father. He will be with Israel in the same way that he he was with Israel's father. And God himself will fight Israel's battle and destroy their enemies in the same way that he gave Jacob victory over his own present tense enemy Esau at this time. And so this is a memorial in a sense. And this is why we see Jacob once again, whenever there is a significant happening of an event, especially when God meets a person or an angel of God meets a person, there is the naming of the place and Jacob gives it the name. But anyway, so when he gave him, let him know that he had, When God let him know that Jacob had striven with God, that's when Jacob came into the realization. He came into the full realization. This is not simply a messenger of God, an angel of God that I'm wrestling with. It's God himself. And that's why Jacob named the place face of God. Peniel, that's the name. That's literally the name of Peniel. It means face of God. And later on, he calls it Penuel, which is simply a more developed uh, part of the name way of using the name Penuel. But it's the same thing as Peniel. And so Jacob calls this that place because he himself said, I saw God's face and my life was preserved. Now, let me deal with that because it was always believed in ancient times. It was an ancient taboo that if you were to see the face of God, you would die instantly, but he marvels that his life was preserved. He's still alive after having seen the face of God. But anyway, and so, and, uh, th- and that's, that also deals with the issue again when Jacob, because when, when God said this, I'm slowing it just a little bit, uh, you have wrestled with God, and that's when Jacob's mind started ticking, and he said, what is your name if you are God? Is it indeed, are you indeed Yahweh? And God, well, why do you ask my name? I just let you know you wrestle with God. And so therefore, that question was answered. It was indeed God. And we got the naming of the place. And the chapter ends with, in the morning, Jacob waking up. Well, not so much as waking up, but the morning dawning, the day dawning. And Jacob leaving from that place with a memorial in his own body. And the memorial in his body is the limp, the mark that God has put upon him. Because remember, he struck his hip and knocked his hip out of joint. Faith, and and it makes me wanna preach, faith costs you something. Faith is not free. Faith, as God develops faith inside all of us, can sometimes and oftentimes comes with pain. Whether there is physical pain, emotional pain, mental pain, faith is developed through pain. But nevertheless, as he left that morning, crossing back over to enjoy with his family once more, he limped on that hip. And then there is uh, an explanation given in the final verse as to why it was a custom and a tradition among the Jewish people not to eat of the tendons that come from the, uh, the hip bone. So they didn't eat of the tendons that come from the hip bone. Even among certain Orthodox Jews today, they still observe this tradition. However, it was not commanded in the law of Moses. Okay, it was not commanded in the law of Moses. It is simply a, a reason to explain why this tradition was maintained. All right, guys. Thanks for joining me on that teaching. Now, come back again. We'll be getting to chapter number 33 when Jacob finally meets Esau. And let's see what takes place at that time. All right, guys. See you then.